Good morning to you all. Children be listening, I guess. Alan has kind of raised the bar. You got to pay attention and, and know what's going on today. Um, Travis isn't here. He's with his home congregation with a 25th uh, anniversary from a church that, as he's mentioned, met in a school cafeteria at one point, now has their own building and they're established and are celebrating uh, a quarter century being together. Um, and uh, it's kind of neat to think about that for, what, 22 years in the future for this group, um, that such a thing might be a possibility uh, as well. So I um, hope that he and his family are enjoying their time down there with people that were uh, so formative as part of his spiritual growth um, and development. <clears throat> Uh, as such, he said, kind of preach on whatever you want, because uh, we're going into another series um, next Sunday when I come back, but wanted to um, do a couple of thoughts with uh, the idea of being different on purpose, which has been Travis's thing the last several weeks, and something that Brandon touched, that Brandon told when he filled in, and also harken back uh, to something that Travis preached on at the end of last year as well, and try to tie some ideas together um, to solidify this idea of what does it mean for God's people to be different, and what does it mean for us to be different on purpose? Uh, those are, are some other things there. Um, <clears throat> I want to talk initially, though, about the idea of name mattering. The things that we call ourselves, or the names that we adopt for ourselves, are important. Uh, I remember our um, middle school choir teacher talking to us boys one day, I think she was trying to kill some time, and said, have any of you guys ever thought that your last name might be something that a woman thinks second, you know, hard about before maybe marrying you. Like, do any of you think that your surname might be an impediment to getting um, a wife someday? And so I was kind of grateful because um, Hartman's just kind of a run-of-the-mill German name. So I realized my obstacles would be like my 90s haircut or my sense of humor, but not my last name. That wouldn't be kind of an impediment there. And um, she mentioned a guy she knew whose last name was Fish, and I thought, yeah, it would be... You know, if your last name were Smith or Campbell or something and you were dating a guy named Fish, that, that would be something you might think about. Um, there's a guy from our church who was in the choir and his last name was Whitehead. And I thought, you know, that's, that's something you might, hmm. Went to my best friend next to me and his, his surname was Hohenschel, which sounds like man you labor at the beach to get souvenirs or something. And both of those guys are married now, but, um, you know, that conversation may have come up at some point. Just because there are associations with names, names that you adopt that you, um, by marriage and that, that custom that many people do, and, um, names that we give our kids, for example, as well. When people are given names, sometimes, depending on the family or things, that name is given with the hope that a person will live up to the attributes of that name, right? So I'm named for my great-grandfather, um, who was named Luther, that's, that's my legal first name, and I only knew him at the very end of his life, um, but I've heard a lot about him. He was the kind of person, kind of person people in his community in Western Oklahoma respected quite a bit. And so I have chosen, um, kind of as best I know how, to emulate some of the characteristics of his life from the stories that I've heard. Um, I feel like I've been given this name and it's something that I can choose to live up to. Conversely, you don't see many Americans naming their child Benedict, right? There's not a lot of Judases running around. Um, Lincoln was a popular first name, growing in popularity in the state of Oklahoma the last several years. My guess is it will not be as popular this year among you know, newborn um, males. And so, and so kind of names that give people um, something to aspire to or live up to in 
many cases. Um, there's lots of Marys and Teresas running around in other parts of the world, millions of children, of young boys named Muhammad, all with the idea of we have this name and associations with this and we hope that you, hope that you um, by having my name, will think about that and that will help inform your character and your identity. Um, I, I know a woman whose maiden name is very similar to uh, that of a famous actor whose lifestyle she doesn't necessarily approve of. And I've heard her on more than one occasion say, my last name is this and not that, and there's a slight spelling variation. And she wants to make sure that whatever you think of him, don't associate that with her. Um, being intentionally vague here, but um, because you have an impression of that, and she's like, that's, that's not me. I just you know, have the misfortune of having a name that's similar to someone else that you may know. Turn to Exodus 20. Exodus 20. This is a familiar passage. When we come to Exodus 20, the people are at Mount Sinai, and Moses is giving them the Ten um, Commandments. Um, we'll talk more uh, about those in general in a second. <clears throat> but the third one is the one we want to, the one to look at okay, in Exodus 20, verse 7. And the third, the third commandment that gives to Moses to then give to the people is, you shall not take the name of your Lord, or the Lord, your God, in vain. You shall not take the name of the Lord, your God, in vain. And this one has an explicit warning associated with it. Right after that is said, um, God says, For the Lord will not hold guiltless anyone who takes his name in vain. So for whatever this prohibition means, there in the first part of 27, um, chapter 20, verse 7, uh, the consequences of that are very serious. The other things would be like, you know, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And then there's no warning after that. You know, do not commit adultery, do not bear false witness, do not covet. But nothing said, like is said with this one, that the Lord will not hold guiltless anyone who takes his name in vain. So we can see that God is pretty serious about this one. Um, that whatever this means, he wants to make sure the people should take this one to heart. Right? Most often we think of this in, in terms of, of swearing. Um, I attend Oklahoma football games and sit directly in front of a guy behind me who is either very religious or very religious, I'm not sure, but every time something uh, unfortunate happens, he has, he has something to say about that that invokes the name of, uh, of Jesus. Um, and, and sometimes he asks God to, to construct a reservoir or something. And it's very jarring to my ears because um, that's a name that I want to uphold and respect and to hear someone misuse it, misuse it uh, is painful to listen to, to. And yet, um, in the Old Testament, <clears throat> there are words for uh, blaspheming, there are words for taking an oath, there are words for swearing, there are words for misusing a name through speech in various manners and forms, and that's not what's used here. Later on in the book of Exodus, and in Numbers, and in Leviticus, people will be punished for those things, for swearing, for blaspheming, for taking an oath in an inappropriate way. Um, but that's not, I think, what is happening here. 
So let's give a little bit of background to this passage and then we'll uh, go a different direction with it. The famous part of uh, the book of Exodus uh, is when Moses encounters God on Mount Sinai in chapter 3. And Moses is there and he's in front of the bush and the bush is burning and the bush is not burning up. And Moses has this uh, encounter with the divine and God gives him this mission to go back to Egypt and to get his people and to bring them to that same mountain so that they will worship him. And Moses is a little confused and bewildered by this and a little reluctant to tell him this mission that God is giving him. And Moses wants to know, um, before he goes about and does this, who is it that has given him this task? He asks, when the people ask me, who is it that has sent me to do this, what shall I say? And God says, and your versions will say different things, I am that I am, I will be that I will be, will be, um, to do with having existed and continuing to exist. And there's a big literature of debate about what exactly is being said there, but the general idea is pretty clear, that the God who is the essence of existence wants most to do this for him. And from that we get God's, we get God's name, name um, a name that Reverend Hughes uh, won't pronounce in order to not offend God. And the, the guy behind me is clearly not a reverend Jew um, in, in the football games. Um, because this special name of God uh, often comes across uh, in English today as Yahweh, or anytime you see the Lord in all capital letters in um, your Bible, there will be a translation of that, uh, is a way of God saying, this is my special name, and this is who I am. I am the one that has sent you, Moses. When we get to Exodus 19, just before the Ten Commandments, the people, the people, the base are out Sinai, and God has this proposition for them. Yahweh has something to say. And um, in chapter 19, 3 through 6, he wants to let them know, I have chosen you from among all the people in the world. I have saved you. The Red Sea event has already happened. So they've been in slavery. Moses come, rescued them, brought them through the Red Sea. God has picked them to be his special people, and now he has a proposition for them. I have done this for you, I have saved you by my choice and by my election, and I would like to know if you would like to be my people. So there at the end of the section, if you will diligently listen to me and keep my covenant, then you will be my special possession out of all the nations, for all the earth is not mine, and you will be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And so God says, this is what I've done. Would you accept my offer of being my people? It's nearly like a courtship relationship that God is saying, would you accept my name? I'm giving it to you. Would you like that? And um, the text in Deuteronomy, as uh, this is given a second time, Moses will say, the Lord did not choose you because you were the most numerous. He did not choose you because you're the most powerful. He did not choose you because there's anything special about you. He chose you because he loved you. So God wants these people to be his representative. It's like God gives this nation his rose and says, you are the one that I choose out of everyone. Would you like to adopt my name? And the people say yes. I think what's going on in Exodus 20, where the text says, don't take the name of the Lord in vain, 
is God wanting to make sure that these people, as they take the name of Yahweh upon themselves, as they choose to be his representatives or accept his offer to be representatives to the whole world, that they do that with the seriousness that that implies. A few chapters later in Exodus um, 28, God is giving detailed instructions about what should happen um, with the priests as they go into the presence of God. And as they go into the presence of God, Aaron is to be given this um, fancy um, priestly garb that I still remember from the children's Bibles that I have. Where they, he has these, um, uh, these turban, he has a sash, he has some broad kind of shoulder pads, he has a breastplate with some stones on it. Stone. And as he does that, he has two stones on his shoulders, and on each stone are six names. Six of the tribes on one shoulder and six on the other. And on the breastplate, there are 12 different um, gemstones, and each one stands for each of the tribes. And as Aaron goes into the presence of God, what Exodus tells us is, is that he bears the names of the people before God. And so Aaron is a representative of the nation as he goes before God. He is bearing their name, he is carrying their name, he is taking their name into the presence of God. Um, Aaron's not speaking kind of for the people. He's not saying the names for them. He is their representative. And I will suggest that just as Aaron is representing the people in the presence of God with their names on him in a very like physical and literal way, God in the Ten Commandments is asking his people to bear his name, to bear his essence, to bear his character, to bear his purpose into the world. So yes, he doesn't want people misusing his name in an inappropriate way or a swearing way. That's uh, fully inappropriate for the people of for the But more than that, he wants these people to say, as you have adopted my name and as you have taken it on, take it seriously. Throughout the rest of the text, um, God through the prophets, will call the people to account for no account being the people that he wants them to be. You get to the later prophets in particular, and the prophets will say, God wanted you to be a light for the world. You have failed to be that. You've like the end of the story of Jonah. And what's the critique? Jonah's like, why is God concerned about these people? And uh, the point is, God loves everyone, but everyone wants uh, that to be known through his special people, the Israelites, the people who literally bear his name come to the message of Jesus in Luke chapter 4. Jesus comes up, and as he's preaching in the synagogue, he reminds the people of two different times that God cared for outsiders in the Old Testament. And the people are so upset about that that they try to kill him. Um, they take Jesus to a cliff, and they, they wish to throw him off there at the end of Luke 4. And the point Jesus is trying to make is God is the God of all the nations, but he has chosen a special people to bear his name and be his representatives and they have not always done that in the way that they should. So the people are to take the name of the Lord and not to do so in vain. And to do something in vain is to do it without meaning or without purpose. We have two other verses from the Old Testament, from the book of Psalms actually, where this idea of doing something in vain comes up. So we'll have those to kind of illustrate this idea of what does it mean to do something in vain. And again, this is not about saying something necessarily. It's about the purpose and the, uh, the action behind our lives itself. Well, in Psalm, Psalm 127, and 
uh, by the psalmist saying, unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers build in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. So the same phrase that's used in Exodus 20 about not taking the name of the Lord in vain is used with this idea of building a house or guarding the city. If those things are done in vain, um, let me say it the other way, if they are done without the Lord, uh, then they are done in vain. If God is not a part of, in the psalm, the building of the house, the watching of the city, it's something that's done in vain. Those efforts are meaningless and useless. If God's people, who have his name, live in ways that are contrary to what God wants, that is taking God's name out to the nations in vain. A little later on Psalms, uh, the Psalms say, those whose mouths are full of lies, whose right hands are deceitful. And that of lies is the same phrase, in vain. Um, those people whose mouths take things or say things in vain, uh, and whose right hands are deceitful, or people who are displeasing to God. People who do things without the meaning and the purpose behind it. So this has been you know, a little bit of interesting history, interesting to me at least, uh, about the Old Testament. Um, but none of us are going to find ourselves at the base of Mount Sinai with the thunderbolts and the lightning, the frightening presence of God, kind of wondering whether we will accept this as his people. As but I think the character of God is such that he has always wanted a people and continues to want a people who adopt and who take on his name. That what God has done through Jesus is to bring his name into the world, and just as Israel was to be the chosen representatives um, among the nations, now that Jesus has come, our purpose as those who have taken his name is to be that representative to other people. God still wants a people to live out his purpose in his name. I have a few New Testament verses um, that I think will highlight this point. And one of them comes from, um, from 2 Corinthians, this passage that Travis uh, has been in for the last several weeks. We look at the end of um, chapter 5, 18. Paul will say, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. Paul says, We, me and uh, the people who are working with me, are the ambassadors, are the representatives of Christ to, to you. It's as though God himself were making his appeal through us. Um, so God's request is coming through us, and we are begging you to what? As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. God is offering you something. In this passage, reconciliation, offering you the chance to be reconciled with God, which is brought up four times in the ellipsis there, in the, that dot, dot, dot. Um, and as God wants you to be reconciled to him, him, that is, Paul says, what I am doing. I am God's ambassador and, and I'm asking you to do that. Do not receive the grace of God in vain. God has chosen you. God wants you to do something with this, but it's not something you take lightly and it's not something you take in vain. And I think it's unmistakable to hear some echoes of Exodus 20 in that passage. Next from the teaching of Jesus, Jesus will say, and say this is in Matthew, Mark, and Luke in, Mark, in different contexts, uh, truly, I tell you, anyone who gives a cup of water in my name because you belong to the Messiah will certainly not lose their reward. So as Jesus is talking, he's saying, 
whatever someone does in the name of my Messiah. Was that an amen? Did I hear that? Yeah? Someone was, hey, you're good. Thank you, Gideon. Um, someone did their homework. Um, <clears throat> Jesus is saying, of the things you do, even something as insignificant in the grand scheme of things as giving a cup of water in my name is someone who will not lose their reward. And in Jesus' teaching, it's because someone is doing this with kind of the purpose, the character, and the authority of Jesus himself behind them. And so giving a cup of water in the name of Jesus is something that is significant because the person who does that is representing the name of Jesus to those around them. Colossians 3, there's a well-known passage well known, uh, we've used many times in the context of singing. And what does it mean to sing and what is the purpose of singing? And right before that passage, Paul says, Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So Paul says, everything you do, things you say, things that you do, do those things in the name of the Lord Jesus and give thanks. And Paul envisions that the Christian life is such that everything um, that we do in our relation to other people, both inside the church and outside, is so permeated by the message and teaching of Jesus um, that that should define who we are. All we do in word or deed, do in the name of the Lord Jesus. One more, um, 1 Peter chapter 4, as Peter's talking about the sufferings and the things the things people he's writing to will go through, Peter says, if you suffer, 1 Peter 4.15, it should not be as a murder, a thief, or any other kind of criminal, or even as a meddler. Um, interesting that meddler there is put in the same, in the same, uh, uh, the same plane as murder or thief or other kinds of criminals. Um, so Peter's saying, if you suffer, don't let it be for these things, these reasons that you might expect suffering to come. If you suffer, it should be what? If you suffer as a Christian, don't be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. So Peter says, if you are someone who suffers as a Christian, it's a reason to rejoice because the name of Jesus has caused what you have done to be offensive to other people in the sense that they have opposed that. And that's something that you should be proud of, not ashamed of, because that means that the character of God, the purpose of Jesus, is being so lived, being so lived your life that it's caused kind of the conflict between the world, as Travis talked about last week, and the church, and that is something actually to rejoice about, that the name of Jesus, that being a Christian, is something that has brought about some opposition. Do not be ashamed, but praise God that that has taken place. So we are different on purpose, and we are to be different on purpose. But part of that purpose is to take God's name and to take it seriously, to not take it in vain. Being a Christian, then, is not about just being saved, but it's this constant reminder that we live with the name of God, with the name of Christ in us. And that is, as Paul says, that Paul permeate to show out, um, to shine through everything that we do. This is true on two different levels. Uh, it's true for those of us um, who have individually taken on the name of Christ. That when we choose to be baptized in the name of Jesus, as the text um, tells us to do, then we are taking on 
his forgiveness, and we are taking on then the lifelong responsibility to live in his name, in our interaction, our dealings with those around us. So we choose, um, again, those of us who have chosen that for our life, to take the name of Jesus and to have that permeate our lives. And just like the Old Testament several times, several times will tumble, and the expectation that God has for them to show his character and his light to the nations, the New Testament, as we've just mentioned, as in several passages that we skipped, will say the same thing about believers, that the name of God, the name of Jesus, is to be reflected in all that we do, in something that we are to take and to not take in vain. It's also true for us on a corporate level that a, a church that takes on the name of Jesus um, is then responsible for the way that the deeds of that church and the actions of that church shine forth to those around. That we need to make sure that collectively the things we do reflect the name of God well, God into the community around us. Um, we attend the Heritage Church of Christ and our faith movement has taken Church of Christ from um, the book of Romans, where at the end Paul will say, all the churches of Christ greet you. And so um, in looking for a biblical name to say this is something that we strive to be, Churches of Christ is one that um, our fellowship chose from among several other biblical names that, uh, that are available there in the text. Um, and I think that by taking on the name Church of Christ, we have given our, we have given our greater responsibility. Um, not because we're any more special for taking that name, but because by having the name of Christ in the name, we are directly taking on his name as we represent ourselves to other people. Um, it's a working hypothesis, still going through that one in my mind. But the idea that we are not only Christians, but we are then saying to other people, we are the Church of Christ, of is putting a special onus on us to make sure that what we do does reflect the name of Christ to those of us. I think that's an awesome responsibility that we have given ourselves. Um, it is true, and this is the negative side of that, that Christians, um, which literally means those who take the name Christ, um, have not always taken God's name appropriately. Um, there are many things that have been done throughout history not, not just by Christians, but in the name of Christ uh, that I think are akin to taking that name in vain. Um, so a couple of historical examples, um, for example, the Crusades. Um, that's kind of some low-hanging fruit there, I think, for church history, for something where people in the name of Jesus have done something that I think is pretty contrary to um, the name and the character of Jesus himself. So again, it's kind of one thing for Christians to do something poorly. Uh, it's another thing, and I think if we take the Exodus admonition seriously, it's a more serious thing to do something wrong in the name of Christ himself. More recently, uh, there was a whole group of people who um, developed a, a lifestyle. You have the next picture? Yeah. Um, of doing something in the name of Christ and taking... The, the best symbol of Christ, and um, have had a teaching that persists to this day, though fortunately not as uh, overt as back then, um, to say, uh, this is something we're doing in the name of Jesus. This is a way of taking the name of Christ in vain. 
And those are kind of low-hanging, again, fruit from historical examples of ways that Christians have done that. There are ways today that people in the name of Jesus do things uh, that are akin to taking the name of God in vain, taking the name of Jesus in vain. Do we have a picture of that one? Um, and that's important to God. Uh, yeah, something that we should always and definitely take seriously. G.K. Chesterton, a well-known preacher from a century and a half ago, um, had a line where he says, there's only one unanswerable argument against Christianity, and that is Christians. It's not, you know, the presence of evil in this world. It's not the hiddenness of God. It's not the mosquito. It's the actions of Christians that is the one thing that is an unanswerable objection to the faith. And by that he means the things done in the name of Christ are something that is really hard for the church to counter as it tries to make a witness to say, that this is bad Christians, by the way. Some of you look a little confused. Um, Chesterton means people who do things do negatively in the name of Christ are something that so harms the cause of Christianity that it's very difficult to overcome. And if you're talking to friends and neighbors and unbelievers, what do you say to someone that says, yes, but what about this, this person that I've seen do this in the name of Jesus? And it's a very tough thing to say. What do you say? Well, they've just not taken on that message as they should, as it's a, a rough thing to say. And, and this is kind of a haunting uh, quote to me. We had a, um, a young girl in our youth group growing up, and someone asked her, she was 16 or 17 or so, if she had thought about being baptized. She said no, um, because this other girl, who's also in our youth group, is a Christian and calls herself a Christian, and I see and she lives, and if that's what being a Christian is, I can't be a part of that. Um, um, that's a haunting thought to me as well, that that was 25 years ago, and Kendra, the the girl has still not become a Christian, and it's because of the negative influence of someone she knew that called themselves a Christian. And I think Chesterton would, would shake his head at something like that. So that's our thought today. In this idea of what does it mean to be different on purpose, it's to say we are to be different, and we are to be different on purpose, we are to choose to be different, and part of our purpose is to take the name take Christ and to shine it to the world around us. To take the name that God has given us through his grace, through nothing that we've done, and to say, yes, we accept that, yes, we accept that burden, and yes, we will not do that or take that in vain. And I think this has been part of God's plan all along with his people, is for a, per a group to accept who he is and accept his purposes, but to make sure that we do that with seriousness. The invitation here kind of writes itself. Um, if you're not someone that if you're taken, has taken the name of God, it's something that's always open to you. It's open to you. Um, but it's always something that should be done with seriousness. If you're has taking the name of Christ upon yourself, that's something to continue to take with seriousness as well. That's something that God wants. Um, are people, are Christians going to sin? Yes. Are they going to misrepresent God? Yes, at times they will. Does God forgive those people who are trying to live out his purposes in his name? Absolutely. And that's something that we should be grateful for. Um, 
but we always want us to be mindful of the seriousness of what it means to carry the name Christian.